Hello, podcasters. Teresa McBean here at North Star Community. I co-pastor this very small, humble community with... I'm Scott McBean. I am the associate pastor at North Star Community, as hopefully most of you know, yeah. unless you're new to new to listening and joining us. So actually, we hope you don't know that. We hope you're a first-time listener, because we always enjoy having new people hop on our podcast. Yeah, and if you are new, you can go and like our Facebook page, which is just, you know, you can search for North Star Community, and we're the one that's in Richmond, Virginia, or you can find us on the web at www.northstarcommunity.com, or you can send us an email. My email scott at northstarcommunity.com, and hers is Teresa, T-E-R-E-S-A, at northstarcommunity.com. Don't hesitate to get in touch. We'd be happy to talk. Sure. Much better than those other things we have to do every day. Talking to people is what we love. Yeah, I don't know what you're referring to, but uh, sure, we'll go with that. Well, there's some touch-up painting that needs to do in today, and I'd rather talk to somebody than do that. Yeah, well, that's, that's for sure. Talking is better than painting. Yes. Well, we're talking about your message from last weekend, a date that I can't even remember it was so long ago, in the month of March. Do you remember what days that message was? Like the 23rd, 23rd and 24th, I think. And uh, it was a message that it really you kind of riffed off of a, a chart that I had used, uh, which I think you can find on our our webpage. Uh, I haven't actually put that up yet. That podcast went up yesterday, and okay. I, I need to find the I need to find the digital version of the chart and post it. But hopefully, by the time you're hearing this, it'll be up. Okay, so do not answer anyone's emails until you do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we I had uh, used this chart, which um, I like. Um, in the center of the chart, kind of like a bullseye are the list of things that are all my responsibility, my thoughts, feelings, actions, ideas, opinions, consequences. And then the what I call the outer circle of hell, which is the outer edge of this round document, are the things that are not my responsibility. Other people's thoughts, feelings, behaviors, ideas, opinions, and consequences. And so I love what you did with that. You... Um, you took that idea and unpacked it at a little bit deeper level than we had gotten to when we were going over the chart. Um, and I loved it. You want to give us a summary sentence of what you did, and then let's talk more specifically about it? Yeah, well, I think that um, I think it was like taking a step back, you know, which is kind of I think what I'm always trying to do mm -hmm. is like trying to take a step back and get perspective. And it's like, in my mind, sort of asking the question, like, yes, okay, on one level, we have to wrestle with this is my responsibility, this is not my responsibility. And you kind of have to, like, when those things are new ideas, right, you have to just grapple with, okay, this is a new idea. And then I think once you've done that, you have the opportunity to take a step back and ask the question, why am I struggling to differentiate between what is my responsibility and what is not my responsibility. And, you know, there's there's not just one answer to that, but one of the possible answers is we have needs. We have emotional needs. We have psychological needs. Um, and these needs and these desires 
uh, shape who we are in relationship. And so if we are undervalidated, uh, if we don't feel like we belong or we have a place or we don't feel like we matter enough to a particular person or group of people, we may get confused about what is our responsibility and what isn't our responsibility because we're, behave- we're, we're acting out of a place of, of seeking and desperately desiring validation, which can push us to move out of what's our responsibility into doing things that are not our responsibility to try to earn validation or, tr- or to try to convince people that we're valuable uh, who are not necessarily... Uh, with their actions giving us that that validation and that sense of uh, worth that we would that we would want, I don't know if I'm talking too uh, into vague terms right now, but I mean that was sort of the jumping off point is the idea that we crave validation so much we often don't get it, and because of that we run around like chickens with our heads cut off. Nice summary. Well, and to be <laughs> really clear, to make sure that we're clear. Um, we were created to be a people who live in community and receive validation right. and acceptance. This is one of those basic human needs that we have in order to be a people who can thrive. Yeah. So what we're not saying when we look at this chart is you can be an island unto yourself. And if you learn how to take responsibility for and meet all your needs, physical uh, needs in the world, the one thing you're never going to be able to do is have uh, a life of satisfaction as an island unto yourself. Right. So that means that it's a nice little chart for building a particular skill set and noticing things about our behavior. But there's more to it than the chart. And I think that this conversation about feeling a scarcity of uh, acceptance and um, perhaps unhealthy interpersonal relationships is going to break the chart. And uh, so why don't you talk to us more specifically about what you had in mind there? Well, um, more specifically about what I had in mind with, with which piece? With the validation piece. Tell me, tell me why validation and not enough of it causes us problems. Well, um, how might that look in your life? Yeah, well, it causes problems because because of of what I said a minute ago, which is um, when we're not getting the validation that we need, we'll go to extreme lengths to try to grasp it and demand it, and and um, yeah. Do you get? So, can you, have you got an yeah, example for that? I, I, I do, but I oh, was cool. just going to say that at the beginning. So, well, the example that I gave this weekend was, you know, we have a spiritual tool called the Enneagram that we use um, is one of many tools uh, towards uh, to discover something about ourselves and just to aid us on this on this journey of trying to become uh, people who are more grounded in God's spirit, right? right. And um, so the, uh, one of the things that the Enneagram teaches is that we all have um, perhaps a number of motivations, but a core motivation, a core driving factor, or we could even call it, I think, I don't, I don't think Enneagram people say this, but I think 
a way to think about it if you're not an Enneagram person is we all have kind of a core desire. Right. And my core desire is competence uh, because of who I am. And the, and the details of that don't matter for the purposes of our conversation. But I want to be competent about everything that I do. And I feel totally adrift if I am not competent at something uh, that I need to be getting done. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel right. totally lost and without a paddle if um, I'm responsible for accomplishing something and I'm not competent at it. Um, and, um, you know, the example I gave is, um, you know, in my marriage, my wife is an extremely competent raiser of children. She was a nanny for a long time. She did child care before that in other, in other ways. And she knows a lot, particularly about babies and, and infants and newborns and toddlers um, that's kind of been the age group that she's worked with the with the most, which for a lot of people is a complete mystery box. And right. f- for me, it, it, it is. Um, it still is. And, um, so, you know, so early on, I'm trying to become the most competent father possible because that's what's going to make me feel like a good father. That's what's going to provide me a sense of validation in that new role. I've got a new role in life. I'm now a father. I haven't been a father before. And so now I have to figure out... Um, how to be a competent father. And if I can do that, then I can feel good about who I am as a father. I have an internal sense of validation and hopefully an external sense of validation as well. Somebody else will see that and recognize it. So, you know, I watch her very diligently change diapers and stuff, and I try to learn how to do that. And she says, you've done that right. And it's like, great, I'm competent. Right, right. So just to interrupt you for one second before you continue on with that story is... You gave a very specific example related to you about competency and how it's lived out in your daily life. And but the common theme is that is we're all looking for validation one way or another. Right. Your happens to be competency. And I would challenge us to say to the listener and to myself, what is it that is ours? You know, what is our thing that we look for validation from, right? All right, so continue. Yeah, well, we, we'll say just for some examples, if you haven't done the Enneagram, and there's more there's more things to think about than just the Enneagram. However, some options are perfection. Some mm-hmm. people are very driven by perfection. Some are very driven uh, by, helpfulness. The, by helpfulness. Some people success. Some people authenticity, uh, competence, security, um, pleasure or fun, control or power. Um, peacemaking. Um, these these are these are some of the options, and 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 you know there's there's a variety of ways to to figure out what yours is. But those are those are some things to get you to be thinking about what is your core driving factor in life that that gives you validation. So uh, moving on, um, you know it occurs to me. Um, in my old age, I've begun reading philosophy, mm-hmm. and um, some of the people that I've been reading lately seem to believe that part of living a good life is occasionally contemplating bad outcomes. Okay. Uh, so that you are somewhat prepared when about when a bad outcome happens, or you have the option of being pleasantly surprised when a bad outcome doesn't come to pass. 
this is the story of my life, and I never read a single philosophy book. Well, yeah, well, there's a difference between contemplating a bad outcome and constantly being obsessed with worst case scenarios. <laughs> stop it, stop it. I love thinking that I'm philosophical. So the example would be, and I think this would apply to your husband, the, uh, one of the examples that they gave, and, and one of the things I was reading is, um, you're not ever going to enjoy a round of golf if you only have a positive mindset. As in, if you think that the next shot, if you're only, if the only way you envision the, ne- vision the next shot is that it comes off perfectly, you are going to be as frustrated as you can possibly be playing golf. Now, if you envision the possible ways in which it can go wrong, uh, you are gratified when that doesn't come to pass. And when it does come to pass, you're prepared for it and you know what you need to do next. Man, you should do a whole book on that right there. You could help golfers (laughs) enjoy their game. There's lots of books about that already. (laughs) So I've begun trying to do this. Okay. And I realize that it's connected to me to this sense of it. For me, it's always going to be connected to competence and it's always going to be connected to validation, particularly when I think about fatherhood. But I realize, you know, my daughter, who is adopted, is likely going to say to me or to us at some point, you're not my real parents or you're not my real father. You know, she gets disciplined, uh, you know, when she's 10 for doing something God knows what. Um, And it's like, you have no right to do this. You're not my real father. You know, that's kind of built in to to the uniqueness of this relationship. There's different, there's different kind of depths that you can go to. Right. Um, You know, we're probably going to find weed in her sock drawer someday, or we're going to discover that she drank alcohol at a party when she's a teenager. Why? Because she's going to be a teenager someday. Right. Not because I'm assuming that we're going to be bad parents. I would just say, check the backpack, not the sock drawer, but that's just... (laughs) uh, Yeah, yeah, we'll skip that. Um, And... You know, some of the people uh, who were there who've, who've known us for a long time looked rather horrified, you know, that I'd even contemplate this suggestion. But I think it's helpful to because I'm not going to feel competent then. Right. I'm not going, there's not going to be any built-in sense that I'm a good father, right? Uh, that I'm a competent father. I'm not going to get any kind of validation or security or, or sense of, of uh, positive sense of self. Because I'm going to be totally clueless how to respond, no matter how well I prepare. And I'm going to be totally adrift. And that's going to, what that kind of example tells me is that that kind of validation, uh, seeking competence my whole life, is going to fail me. It's a leaky bucket. Yeah, it's, it's pursuing, it's a false strategy for feeling okay in the world. Validation has to come from somewhere else. And this is important for this conversation because we need to figure out where exactly validation comes from or we're always going to be chasing that lie. We're always going to be pursuing something that's never going to quite help us feel like we have a place in this world. And if we don't have that problem settled, and it's a big problem, and it's one that's probably never going to be permanently settled, but we can at least get maybe a partially settled maybe. If we're not even partially settled, how the heck are we going to avoid doing things that aren't our responsibility? 
Right. Well, I remember when you asked the crowd, both Saturday night and Sunday, often the crowds have very different responses. They were spot on with each other this past weekend. You said, who here in this room has had too much validation and they're just full up with it, you know? Mm -hmm. And everyone to a person laughed out loud when you said that. Yeah. Like, how could that even, like, is that even a thing? I mean, I don't think (laughs) anyone has ever said, wow, I think I'm just getting too much uh, positive regard and affirmation in my life. Which I think really goes to validate, see what I did there, Mm -hmm. the point that you were making in the message. Like, this is a problem. And um, one of the reasons it's a problem is because I believe that the kingdom of God coming to earth and us being faithful people should should include the capacity for us to validate, affirm, accept one another, and remind each other that we were created in the image of God. This should be something that we we do quite intentionally until it becomes natural. Yeah. And uh, I I remember uh, my friend Jean's father was a natural at this, a sunny dispositioned person, Um, lovely man. And um, he had the most beautiful eyes. And when he looked at you, you thought that you were the light to his lamp. Mm -hmm. And um, I I just, it was was a beautiful privilege to know Pomp and um, to have on occasion his gaze turn and look at me. And he really had the gift of validation. Mm-hmm. And um, it, was an, it was an amazing thing. I, I've known only one other person uh, who had that complete capacity. That was Mary Saunders. We called her Mama John. And um, my friend Linda once said to me, I think everybody thinks that they're Mama John's most beloved and best friend. And I think that was really true. So two people who had the gift of that. Yeah. Man, we need it. And what I liked about your message is you moved away from identifying the problem to casting a vision for what our future could be like if we remembered not only that we need more validation, but that we have the capacity to give more of it to others. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, before I do that, um, the passage that uh, we used was from 1 John, which obviously there's a lot of love language in 1 John, um, or in John in general. Um, So the verses were 1 John uh, 4, um, 7 to 16 or something like that. Yeah, there were a lot of them. I have the wrong ones in my notes. Uh, But the idea there is that God is love, love comes from God, if you remain in God, then you remain in love and vice versa, right? And that love is a product of being supplanted in God's spirit and have and having had God draw you into his spirit, so to speak. Right. And it has this line about no one has ever seen God, and yet you get the idea that from reading that passage that people do see God from 
participating in the act of love. Right. Right. We're not talking specifically about romantic love here. Right. So the idea is that um, though we will never fully grasp this, at least in this life, that the sense of who we are, uh, the fullest sense of who we are is something that comes from God by virtue of his love and knowing that we are loved by our creator. And that's something that perhaps we only get a, a glimpse of from time to time, but that glimpse can be really meaningful for us. And um, the question is, the first question is, how do we get that and how do we hold on to it, right? <laughs> and um, that would be, you know, the only real response that I have for that is figure out who actually treats you lovingly in life. Figure, figure out where you actually receive that. Not just who tells you that they love you. So many people get deceived about staying in certain kinds of relationships, whether it's family or romantic or otherwise, simply because somebody says that they love you. Right. But then their actions don't back that up. Right. The kind of love that First John is talking about is the kind where you have remained in, in God such that you live in a way that reflects his love to others. Right. And that is the way in which we go about seeing it and experiencing it and receiving it. Right. So phase one, right, is figuring out where to supplant yourself. I mean, there's, there's this idea that you only get validation until you've just given it to yourself, right? That, that you're responsible for your sense of validation and self-worth. And yes, self-worth is important, and, and discovering a sense of self-worth is important. But you're never going to get everything you need from yourself. Like you said, right. no person is an island. And so you need, need to figure out what kind of community um, to really plant yourself in where you are truly getting a glimpse of God's love so that you can receive God's love. Can I jump in here and say something just sure. for a sec? So I think that's a really great point. And um, I think in terms of uh, validating yourself— um, or receiving it from yourself um, can be fantasy living, mm -hmm. right? So here's how it's worked for me in my experience. True validation that validates the personhood of who you are doesn't just compliment you on something like your shoes, which is also cool, but that's not validation. I think true validation, when we either give it to someone else or someone gives it to us, is that which wakes us up to the reality of how we bear God's image. And I don't think that sometimes we know that about ourselves because we pay more attention to what we're not getting right. And I don't think a lot of times we're particularly good at knowing what our own strength is in terms of uh, the things you validate, which is not what you do, it's who you be. So, yeah, I think you should say that again, if you can, that part about somebody waking you up to, how did you put it? Well, I think for me, 
the way I have been able to internalize and accept who I be as valuable and bearing God's image was awoken in me when someone first gave me a word of affirmation and validation, not about what I do, mm-hmm. not about my shoes, but about who I be. And I who you are. Yeah, who I be. You no. Know? Yes. <laughs> that drives I like, me nuts. I like the bad grammar of that, but who I am, right? Who I am that in particular bears God's image in a very particular way. And I won't bore you with the details, but I can think of four specific examples in my life where someone has uh, made me aware of who I am and how I uniquely bear God's image. It was the exact same validation over the course of three decades by four different people and it convinced me that they were right, and I have internalized that, and no one needs to tell me that anymore, although I welcome your texts, emails, and phone calls of validation. (laughs) But, you know, it's like I have now internalized that. I can take responsibility for that, right? So I love that, but I think that's the interplay and the messiness of this is if those four people had never spoken up I'm not sure I would have ever recognized that particular part of who I am. Yeah. Or who I be. So validation. Can only certain people validate others? Does it require a great deal of wisdom and discernment to be the kind of person who can participate in this love fest of being supplanted in God's love and then turning around and handing a cup to, to a thirsty stranger? Um, well, the, I mean, you're only going to get it. You're only going to receive validation from certain types of people, right? People right. who have the people who are who actually have the desire to see you right um like you were just saying in your example you have people in your life who saw you and it was important for you to be able to discern who are the people who actually see me because we often get very confused about that right now to answer your question the example i gave this weekend is well and the reason that i went down this path initially is you know, so often we talk to people who think that they cannot possibly participate in or do God's will until they've met the conditions, right? Until they've right. gotten better or like there's like a minimum threshold that you need to get right. of goodness that you need to get to before you're uh, worthy of being used by right. God. I right. mean, not, not being used in a bad way. Um, and... You know, I um, we do this kids group uh, once a month, and the goal was just to provide a place where kids are served, where they're loved, where they get to have fun, where they learn a bit about living in the midst of trying circumstances, because each of the kids has, has their own challenges in life. 
And so we've tried to give them a little bit of a sense of purpose there in that regard. And I saw last month or the month before, it was it was not the most recent time we met, but the time before, um, a 12-year-old boy look for an opportunity to validate and give a glimpse of that, of God's validation, of God's love to an eight-year-old boy. Um. Why do why do he do it? Was he best friends with the eight year old, or? Well, I'm going to tell the story. Be patient. Okay. So the twelve year old struggles socially. Doesn't have a lot of friends. He's a great kid. He's smart. He's funny. Um, you know, it makes no sense to me why he has these struggles, but his parents have told me that he does. Um, and he's been in our group for a while. And at first, you know, he had the you know, he had to adjust and the group had to adjust to having a new person in it. And now it just feels like the group, right? Right. And because he struggles socially, his parents have have told us that this is the only place that he enjoys coming to. Um, and I think what that means is this is the only place where he feels like he has mutual relationships. Yeah. And um, so we have a new kid joining the group now who perhaps struggle socially, or at least is struggling socially to adapt to the group, because that's just what happens when a new person comes into a small group. That's, you know, it's not the fault of the group, and it's not the fault of the person joining the group. It's, It's hard. And so I had sent an email out to the parents saying, here are some ideas for ways we can make the new kid feel safe and at home, and maybe that'll cut down on some of the growing pains. And, um, this kid's parents read him the email and um, rather than thinking it was an it was annoying, he saw it as a mission, and he saw it as his mission to help the new kid feel safe and at home, and loved, because he recognizes the importance of having that because he hasn't had enough of it. So even though he's only twelve or however old he is, and even though he has his own struggles, um. And even, you know, all of the things that he's not yet, right, did not prevent him from giving somebody else uh, or from wanting to give somebody else a glimpse of how God sees us, right? And so what happened— I love that story so much. Well, what happened is the next time they were both there, um, we normally serve the kids dinner Mm -hmm. so that the kids have the experience of feeling served. You're trying to create a family meal table. Yeah, but more importantly, we're trying to make them feel special. Right. Right. Like right. we're not telling them that it's their chore to fix their own dinner plate. Like we we are getting You're it for them. them. Right. Yes. You're... We want them to be the recipients of acts of service. Right. Well, this boy made it a point to serve the twelve year old made it a point to serve the eight year old. Yeah. He went out of his way to ask him what he wanted to eat, ask him what he wanted to drink. Halfway through the night, he said, do you need anything else? Do you want dessert? Do you need a refill? And he got him those things, and he served him. Now, 8 and 12 is a huge gap. Yeah. 8-year-olds are very annoying to 12-year-olds. Right. And 8-year-olds look up to 12-year-olds. They're like gods in their eyes. Right. So there's all kinds of ways in which they could miss each other, in right. which this relationship wouldn't work. And they were able to overcome that. And... Um, their brains aren't even fully developed. I know. I mean, if they can do that, what's our excuse, really? Yeah. I, I, uh, 
I love that as a challenge. And I've thought about it uh, this week in terms of some of the ways that when you think about ways that maybe each of us would have appreciated and liked validation, it's a real challenge to say, hey, you didn't get it. Now, how can you do it for someone else? You are uniquely qualified to do a better job with other people than you feel like was done with you. That's a lovely thing. And it's sort of like a second chance uh, to have a a lovely relationship. Um, And and I, I love that so, so very much. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, you know, that is, that's the call, you know, I mean, I can't remember exactly how we close things out. Uh, But the idea is that, you know, you said we're uniquely equipped to offer somebody else that glimpse. And I would say that's only true if we have been willing to exercise the wisdom to figure out who gives us a glimpse. You know, there is an order of operations. You must receive a glimpse in order to be able to give a glimpse. And so it's a dual call. Right. Figure out where you receive this and make sure you sit your ass down in that place and stay there for a while. Yeah. Don't just get up and move. Right. I mean, (laughs) that makes no sense. Uh, Right. Don't don't be a greedy guts and... This goes back to your philosophy question, a philosophical perspective of, you know, um, imagine, imagine the golf shot not going perfectly. Yeah. Uh, You know what? I feel like I have been super blessed to have four people give me that kind of validation. Yep. One time each. So I believe that... um, don't go looking for the whole world to do that for you. So I love that other idea of take a seat next to someone who does that. Establish the relationship, not so that they can uh, constantly pour validation on you, but because you know these are the people who know you and see you. Right. And together you can do good work. God can work with that. You can do some good work together. Yeah. So, yeah, I I yeah, loved so it. So that's part one, and then part two is, um, you know, you you have to be able to be willing to actively seek out uh, the person who clearly needs the glimpse and show it to them. And it's often the most annoying person to have to show it to. I mean, for a twelve-year-old, it's it it couldn't possibly be more annoying than to give a glimpse of God's love to an eight-year-old. Yeah. But that is the level of call that we're talking about. It's a huge responsibility, but the benefits are also huge. Yeah, and I do continue to be pretty convinced that this is how you change the world. Yeah. Uh, One little step at a time. And everybody's got an eight-year-old in their life somewhere, metaphorically speaking. Yeah, and sometimes literally speaking. Yeah. Well, I think we've done it. I think we've managed to summarize your weekend message. Yep, that is it. That's uh, all we have. That's it. We're done. Put Uh, the lid on it. 
So as usual, you will begin to hear music from Blue Dot Sessions. They can be found on the web at sessions.blue. The music is royalty free. You can use it on your own podcast. Um, so feel free to do that as a way of supporting them. Um, again, we are North Star Community. We can be found on the web at www.northstarcommunity.com as we shared in the intro. Uh, We look forward to sharing these message recaps with you each week. We have fun doing it, and so stay tuned. There will be another one next week.